Uh, I love. We love to have fun at the Refuge Church, and uh, if you don't, well, there's a church down the road for you. So, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, so today is a very special day because um, it's my beautiful wife, Tanya, and I get to celebrate our 18th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. These chairs. I totally recognize them. I, these are a anniversary gift That's to really Tanya nice. this morning from me to her. Uh, I was like, how am I going to give these chairs to her for our dining room? And I thought, what better way than to break them in this morning? <laughs> so. I remember test driving them. We both sat down at Home Goods, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of irresponsible to just like on a whim just buy some furniture that we. So happy anniversary! Thank you. That's These really nice. I like so, them. Can't wait to uh, test drive them in front of you guys. So the last time that Tanya, I think this is the last time you spoke was on my birthday last year, and you gave me gifts during both services. I'm just warning you that these so are the... So much furniture today. <laughs> so excited. There aren't four chairs. Oh, okay. Okay, so um, I'm just warning you, this is the only group that gets to see us uh, interact this way. So, uh, so we reward you for your early bird gets the worm, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But um, really excited to do this this morning. Yeah. Uh, if you're visiting with us, again, fill out the card in front of you. But uh, my name's Adam. It's my beautiful wife, Tanya, and uh, we can't wait to uh, read God's word together and to, to explain to you what we, what we see. But before we get into that this morning, I do have just one really special announcement uh, that's not our anniversary, uh, but it's, it's a really special announcement about the church's anniversary or birthday or whatever you want to call it. So in two weeks, the refuge will turn six years old. Can you believe that? Six years. Some of you guys are like, I thought it was only like one because they just got into this building in December. And, you know, so actually it'd be two years. This Is December. it two years? Yeah. So we anyway, um, we've been, we, we met in the high school before this for three years and it's just been, it's been a great... And online. And online. And in for, a parking lot. And in a parking lot. And we've just done whatever we can to keep this thing alive. And uh, so we celebrate six years. And we decided uh, to, uh, to invite someone to speak for us on our birthday. One of the things that I love to do on our birthday is to have another voice come and, and be a part of what we're doing. And this last year... Uh, I've referenced a book a lot, a book by the name of God's Best Kept Secret. And uh, I'm like through the moon, like through the roof to the moon, over the moon. What's the expression? I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're helping yeah. me this morning. Uh, I'm excited to announce that on, uh, so in two weeks, on March the, the 5th, uh, the author of God's Best Kept Secret, Mark Malding, will be preaching for us. And on, uh, on March 4th at 3 o'clock, which is the Saturday before Sunday the 5th, um, on March 4th at 3 o'clock, 
uh, we're going to do a live Q&A with, with Mark here at the church. And you're all invited, both services. Uh, we want to pack the house for, uh, for that Saturday live Q&A that you can come and ask questions to the author. I know this morning we're launching small groups, and uh, I'm so excited for those. One of the things I'm excited about is there are two groups um, that are going to be talking about God's best kept secret. So if you're leading one of those God's best kept secret books, I hope you come to Saturday the 4th and ask all the questions to be able to lead your small group in a great way. So um, also on uh, March 5th, we will be giving away God's best kept secret to everyone that'll be in church. So Probably also, now I'm saying this out loud as I'm thinking of this, if you're joining one of those small groups, because small groups are launching today and you haven't bought your book, let us know, because we can get you your book now. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, so uh, all those small groups, those books are provided. Um, the small group leaders already know all that. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're on it. Are you guys, are you ready to, Let's do this. to break into your chairs? Yeah, I'm right. really excited to sit on these chairs. I'm going to scoot a little closer to you. So... We talked a lot about how we we're going to tackle this this topic, and um, I'm just going to. Is it okay for me to put my Bible on the ground? Uh, so um, we're going to talk about like we talked about how we we're going to tackle this, and I thought you know one of the best things to do is just to talk about Scripture with you, and um, I'm super excited to talk about about God's Word with you. Um, Let's do a quick review. Can we do a quick review? Um, so week one, we talked about how we treat other people. And um, the big idea for how we treat other people was, was simply we have to see them in the identity that God has for them. We have to see people in the identity that God has for them. Not the identity that they're living in, but the identity that God has for them. That's how we, we treat them. Last, last week was week two, right? And so we talked about, about how we treat other people. And what we said was how we treat others has a lot to do with how we view holiness and how we treat holiness. And that leads us into today. Um, one of the things that I can't get away from is that God's word talks about partnerships a lot. It talks about marriage, it talks about friendship, and it talks about, it talks about life. But one of the things that I can't get away from when I look at it is God's desire for holiness. And I think last week was, was a, big, a big intro to that. Yeah. So this week, we're, what we're going to be talking about is our partnerships, um, our partnerships with others. So like Adam said, it's not just romantic partnerships. It's your work partnerships. It's your partnerships with your children, your partnerships with the educators of your children, your partnerships also with uh, your partner, your life partner, your husband, your wife. Um, and so that's what we're going to be getting more into today, which is really cool, just kind of the way that this all laid out to be on our anniversary, to be talking about 
this type of partnership, but also on the launch of small groups, of the partnerships that uh, you're walking through life with people. And that's why we're such big proponents of small groups in this church, because we believe that we're better together, that what the enemy wants is for you to be in isolation. And so the only way to combat that is to get known to be loved, and to do that through the context of small groups. And I know that people just get a little bit like wiggy when it comes to small groups because you're like, well, what happens if I commit to this eight-week thing and all the people are weird? Guess what? You're weird too. Everybody is weird. It's just about finding the same type of weird as you. And so Maureen will help you. Just She'll talk to you and be like, I know what type of weird you are. You're this kind of weird. And she'll help plug you into a small group today. So uh, that's this week. This week we're talking about partnerships. Next week it's going to be your turn, and we've kind of been plugging this all along, um, but we want to hear from you. We want to answer your questions, and so we are kind of this uh, group that we're learning things together, and so we don't want to just sit here and just spit some knowledge at you. We want to we talk about things that you're interested in, and so the best way for you guys to do that is to text us on this text line um, that we put up on the screen. If you guys don't have that number yet, you can take a picture. You can write it down real quick. Um, but it's 207-261-0060. And you just... Uh, I like how you said that, 0060. It sounds kind of like a, I don't know, international like James spy. Bond, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so we've gotten some really good questions already. We've gotten some that we were like, who asked that? Because the first question that came through was, why is Adam so handsome? And he showed it to me, and I was Mystery. like, did you text that on the text <laughs> line to yourself? Because it wasn't me. But, um, but we're getting some really good questions, and so we want to continue this conversation. We want to address what you're sitting there saying, okay, well, how does this apply to my life? And so please, please send us your questions. We'll do our best to answer all of them um, next week. Yeah, and so as far as today goes, we're going to continue in Exodus chapter 3, uh, and I want you to know we are still going to have a big idea today. Everything's going to going to flow kind of the same way. Uh, one of two of the other groups. Uh, so, by the way, there are 17 groups available to you this semester. I've challenged our groups, and I'm I'm just going to make this known. Uh, I've challenged our groups this year or this semester that next semester we want to double those groups. So, like, our goal is to have 10% of our church, which, by the way, we, I mean, and it's not, it's just to, to praise God for what he's doing in, in our church. But this, this service usually runs, you know, 150 to 160. The next service usually runs 130. <laughs> <laughs> 120 to 130-ish, and so like we're, we're sitting right at that 300 number, and so we want to have 10% of our church size with, with our groups, and so we're, we're looking to double our, our groups next semester. So if you feel led to lead a small group, uh, see Maureen. She would love to. Man, we're giving Maureen some love today, so I hope you feel loved, Maureen. Um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 10 um, I'll go ahead and read it, and, and for this morning, for this morning, I said to Tanya, I was like, I'm going to give you some scripture to look at when it comes to partnerships, and then we're going to, let's just talk about it. Let's just, let's just talk about what we see in the scripture. And so Exodus 3, 7 through 10 says, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in, in Egypt. 
I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Later on in verse 16 and 17, so jump down about six verses, it says, Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely to, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised you to rescue you from your, the oppression of Egypt. I will lead you out of the land out to the land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. So I see about five things in this scripture really quick that I wanna I wanna give to you. But here's one of the things that I that I really that I that I see that I can't get away from. God is God hears the cries of his people, Israel, because they're in this abusive setting. They're in a setting where the, the, the Egyptians are, are abuse, abusing them. And they're crying out to God, God, please help this, like make this stop. And, and he hears that. I can't help but to think that even in, in a place like, like this morning, that there are people that have been crying out to God for whatever your situation. It could be abuse. It could, be, it could just be other things. You've been crying out to God. God always hears the cry of his people. So I see five things. The first thing is God sees his people. He sees you. The second thing is that he hears his people. He hears their cry. He's listening. The third thing is he rescues his people. Come on, that's good news. He delivered them. He saw their oppression and he rescued them. But he, and, and, and the, when he rescues us, his desire is for us to possess the best. God wants his people to, to possess the absolute best thing for them. And he always knows what's best, even when it, when it involves people that aren't the best. Even when it involves a, a collision with, with what I would call the unholy, right? So he sees that he wants to send them to this land that's so good that everyone wants to live there. And he, but he wants to give it to his people. The last thing that I see is that God's people always need a leader. 
they need to be led. And, and so God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt to give them the best thing for them. And that included people that didn't look like them. That included people that were really what God called unholy. And there's this collision between people that are holy and people that are unholy. I believe that God's desire for his people is to be always to be present with people that are unholy while still remaining holy. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. So what I saw uh, when, when we read through this scripture is really a, a lot of it's very similar to what you had seen and mentioned. Um, number one, your cries actually move the Lord. It moves him into action. It says here in verse 7 that he's seen the oppression, that he's heard the cries, and that he was aware of their suffering. And then in the next verse it says that I have come to rescue them. So your cry of distress, whether it's um, just stressors in your life or like Adam said, if there's um, abuse that you suffer, if it's um, just uncertainty in your future, that when you cry out to the Lord, that actually moves him. It moves him into action. Mm. And that brings me into our next um, thing that we see here is that the Lord's action often occurs through another person. Mm. And so God didn't just hear the cries of his people, snap his finger and fix it. He sent Moses. And so you are God to somebody else. You are God's answer to somebody else's cry of distress. The people that are in your life, when you let them in, when you allow yourself to be known and seen and loved, that is God moving in your life. It says in verse 10, now go, I am sending you, Moses, to Mm. Pharaoh. And the third thing that I see here is that when God moves you to act, he'll also equip and instruct you. Mm. And so if I just told you, you know, you are somebody's answer to their prayer, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. God's not going to send you to them and not equip and instruct you. He tells Moses in verse 15, this is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to call the elders of Israel. And then actually when we get out of what we had just read, when we go a little further in that chapter, he tells them, uh, Moses, exactly what's going to happen. The elders are going to hear you and receive it. Pharaoh's not going to move his heart unless I have my mighty hand perform some works. And so then I am going to perform some works. I'm going to do some miracles. And so God tells Moses exactly how it's going to play out. I wish that I could sit here and tell you when you move on behalf of God in somebody else's life, he's going to tell you exactly how it's going to play out. It doesn't always work like that. But in this case, it did. That God was like, X, Y, Z is going to happen. And so let's go. Let's get it. He didn't tell you everything that would happen 18 years ago? No. Heck no. (laughs) So that's that's what I was seeing when we were talking through. It's good. Exodus. It's really good. Uh, and so the next, the next passage was in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. It's the same. So we're following the storyline of the children of Israel this morning and, and the way that God worked in their life. Deuteronomy 7, so um, Exodus, Deuteronomy, the very next, ver- next book says, uh, verse 1 through 6, when the Lord your God brings you into the land. So now they get, they're starting to get to the land. Um, you are about to enter and occupy. He will clear away many nations ahead of you. 
the Hittites, Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you, you conquer them. You must completely destroy them. Now, I know that, that what that sounds like. We're going to keep reading. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and your sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. And then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars. Cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols, for you are a holy people. Who belong to the Lord your God. Of all people on the earth. The Lord your God has chosen you. To be his special treasure. The reason. That I, I start to get choked up when I read that passage. Is I see God's desire for us. God's desire for us is to be his. Like he wants to possess us. He wants to have us. He wants our hearts more than anything else. And he knows that we get distracted by shiny objects. Anybody else get distracted by shiny objects? He knows that when we get around people that are unholy, that our tendency is to go towards unholiness. Our tendency is to drift away from our relationship with him. That's our human nature. And so he's, he makes these stipulations of stipulations of holiness so that we can be his. It's, it's all in an effort for him to have us. The best place that, that we can be I didn't anticipate the tears, so. I did. <laughs> they did too. Well done. Thanks. What did you see here? Uh, so in this, in this passage, the first thing that jumped out to me, the first time I read it was what I wrote down. And then when I read it through last night, there was something totally different, which is the amazing part of Scripture, that it's alive and active, and that you can read it a hundred times. You can go through the Amen. Bible recap every year for the rest of your life and see something different. So last night, which is not in my notes, but as soon as I finished reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, it was just the very end that said, for your holy people, you belong to the Lord. Of all the people on earth, which is like a lot of people, of yeah. all the people on earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his own special treasure. That just like, it kind of like caught my breath in my chest. And I was like, dang, like God loves me. God loves you. But that wasn't even in my notes. But that was just like that. I just had that moment with God last night when I read that. And I was just like, that's a lot of people to be his favorite. We're all his favorite. You're my favorite. 
So <laughs> the things that I was seeing as I was studying through this, number one, God does his part, but that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. So mm. yes, God brought the Israelites into this land, but that doesn't mean that the work is done. He's, he's a good God. He doesn't uh, he loves us too much to allow us to be lazy. He, lo- he loves us too much to allow us to be entitled. And so he brought the children into this land, but then there was some work for them to do. And so he told them that, they, uh, that he would clear many nations ahead of them. But then verse 2 says that they must completely destroy them. Completely destroy them. Completely. Completely destroy them. The next thing I saw is that there's no room for compromise when it comes to God's, God's instruction. And I, I, I feel like as we go generations away from this passage, there's more compromise along the way. Think about the things that your grandparents told you about what it used to be like. And think about you being a grandparent and a great-grandparent and talking to your great-grandchildren and saying, well, back in my day when I walked uphill both ways to school, this is what it was like. And as we get further and further away from the way that God originally intended relationships to be, there's compromise along the way. And so there's no room for compromise. God actually tells the Israelites here, make no treaties, show no mercy. And that's hard for us to hear. That's hard to read. Some people read that and say, well, well that's genocide. To, to Take care of all of them. Show no mercy. When you think about what that actually entails, that's brutal. But that was God's instruction. Number three is that God doesn't just want your allegiance in your mind. He actually wants it in your action. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't tell the Israelites, go ahead into this land and just make sure you stay faithful to me. Keep it, you know, up here, up here. But you don't have to really live that out. He told them, go ahead, clear the land. Make no room for exception, no treaties, no peace. Annihilate all these evil people. Because my fourth thing that I saw was that God's plan accomplishes more than just your part. And so when we hear that, we're like, wow, that's really brutal. Well, guess what? There were a lot of things happening here. There were a lot of uh, layers to what God's plan was. And so when we look and we see just what our part entails, we might think, God, why would you do that? But when you... Uh, actually have the opportunity to scale out, to Mm. get the 30,000-foot view and see what God's greater plan was. What he was doing here was, one, he was punishing the nations that he had warned in the beginning to stay faithful to him, and they didn't. And so punishment must come. And so God used the Israelites to bring about justice. The next thing that he did with that is that he uh, protected the hearts of his people because he knew that they were distracted by shiny objects. And so he punished the wicked. He protected the hearts of his people. But third, the most important thing is that he preserved the line of the Messiah. If that line of the Messiah had been compromised, I mean, where we are today wouldn't have ever been able to come to place, that we would be the ones that still deserve that justice, that we are the ones that deserve to have total destruction because of our wickedness. And so because God used those instructions with the Israelites, he, he was attempting to preserve the line of the Messiah. What we're going to get into next in Ezra, are you ready for me to jump into there? Jump you, okay. in, baby. So what we're going to fast forward. So we were Genesis, we jumped forward two books. Now we're going to jump forward again and see what happens. And so what happens in Ezra 
9, verse 1 through 3 says, Now when these things had been completed, the officials approached me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. As to their abominations, those are the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy race has intermingled with the people of the lands." Indeed, the hands of the officials and the leaders have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. And when I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled out some of the hair of my head and my beard, and I sat down appalled. Yeah. Um, so at this point in Israel's history, uh, they've, they've just gotten back to Jerusalem from what was known as the Babylonian exile. And when they got back, what, what God had seen is that they, they had disobeyed him. They, had, they, had, they didn't destroy the people that he had told them to. Um, and they had taken matters into their own hands. How many are guilty of also taking matters into our own hands? We all are. And so what I, what I see is, is Ezra, the, the Bible said in, in, in that last verse, he was appalled. At the, at the behavior of God's people. He was appalled that the people would, would actually disobey God. And what it, what it reminded me of was that I, I asked myself, so what was Ezra actually appalled at? And the thing that Ezra was appalled at was the lack of holiness. He didn't see the, the need to, to just all get along, right? He didn't see the need to just intermingle with everyone and just get along with everyone else. What he saw was the need for holiness. The need for holiness always, always outweighs the need for just getting along, unity. For, and and that, that brings me to today's big idea. Do you want to share the big idea? Do you want me to share the big idea? I, I get to share the big idea every week. Okay, I'm on it. So it's, the, it's a privilege. Thank you. Handle it with care. Got it. Ready? The big idea for today is that the world's goal for partnerships is unity, but God's goal for partnerships is holiness. And that, honestly, let me like let you see behind the veil. We had something totally different written until 9.30 last night. Yes. And we were sitting down. We're going through this uh, message again, and we're just kind of like talking it out. And it was like... We can't get away from holiness. This isn't it. This isn't, it's, this isn't a message about unity. This is a message about holiness. Yes. And so we, we had this moment where we're like, you know what? Unity and holiness is not the same thing. And so that's why the world, when they read scriptures like you must... Uh, get rid of this entire people group, you're like, that's, that's not unity. Like I, I, we're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to get along. But what God was calling for was holiness in his people to preserve the line of the Messiah. 
And so uh, I think it's really important for our big idea for us to actually delineate unity and holiness. Mm. And so just like a quick little Google um, in Webster's dictionary, it actually defines um, unity is the quality or state of not being multiple, oneness. So unity is oneness. Holiness is set apart, specifically set apart for a specific purpose. So when you think of... um, the holy objects that were in the temple. Those were set apart for a specific purpose. They were not allowed. The oil that God had given instructions, like the recipe for this oil, must not ever be used for anything else. It was holy. And so that was set apart for one specific purpose. And so we are called to be a holy people. We are called to be set apart for a specific purpose. That is so different than being called to unity. Mm. We're not to be one. We're to be set apart. And so the world looks at this story and they hear that God is destroying a whole people group and you're saying, okay, well, like, where's the unity in that? There is no unity in that. God is not looking for unity. He's not even asking for holiness. He's demanding holiness. And I feel like churches have gotten really soft on this. And we will not be a church that goes soft on holiness. We are called to be set apart no matter what it takes. We will have love. We will act as God has, has commanded us to. And so the, the more holy we become, the more set apart we become, the more we look like God. Yes. And so it's not something that you have to differentiate in your mind. I'm going to be holy, but I have to remember to be nice. Right. When you are holy, Everything that is God, every characteristic of God flows through you. It's second nature to you. You don't have to think about it, put it on like it's something that you don't um, naturally do. That becomes part of who you are when you become a holy people. (laughs) Dang girl. Holiness and loving your neighbor are the same thing. And what I don't want you to hear is that, well, that church doesn't care about unity. We do, but we know that when we're holy, we're unified. I think one of the things that you've said is that unity doesn't mean uniformity. And so... It doesn't mean, unity doesn't mean that we all look the same and act the same, but it means that we can, we can come under agreement that we're going to strive for holiness. And so I w- up to this point, I'm like, okay, so this is the, the Old Testament, and, and, and uh, I know people tend to go to, you know, well, that was the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What does the New Covenant have to say about unity and holiness? And so I looked to the Apostle Paul in his letters to the Corinthian church, and, and he addresses partnerships a lot because the, the Corinthian church was messed up, man. It was like, it was so messed up. The partnerships were all out of whack. And, and he writes in, in the second letter to, to the Corinthian church in chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. So, this, this idea of holiness is still going on. God's people are still the same. Just because God's people are now includes the Gentiles, 
doesn't mean that his cry for holiness dis, uh, differentiates. It's the exact same thing. Now we have believers and unbelievers. And so he goes on, he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partnered with wickedness? How can light live in with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? Wow. So I, I sit here and I go, hold on, God. I'm, I'm pastoring a church where I know that I've got marriages where the wife or the or the husband is, is a follower of Jesus, and, and the, the other spouse is not a follower of Jesus. How do I lead a church filled with marriages where we've got people that are in union with, with, believer, that, with unbelievers? And how do we accomplish this? How do we accomplish harmony when, when it comes to disagreement on, on a Savior? I wish there was an easy answer, but the truth is, the answer is still holiness. The answer is still holiness. The answer is still the gospel. What God showed me was that the gospel is what unifies us. When you think about the things that aren't the gospel, when you think of the things that, the, the lies that the enemy tells us, the ways that you can get to heaven, that there are many different ways to get to heaven. And the people that believe that there are many different ways to get to heaven, guess what? They're all grasping for straws. They're all grasping for the way to get to heaven because there are many of them. But the gospel unifies us into one that there is one way to get to God, and it's through Jesus. And that's good news. You don't have to grasp for straws for your eternity. The good news is that we can know the way to get to God. It's the best news ever. My, my desire, God's desire for the marriages in this church is, yes, that they be unified, but they be unified in holiness, and I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful um, that the Apostle Paul didn't leave us hanging. But, but before we, we look at what he says, because he addresses in the first letter, he had already addressed what happens when, when marriages aren't, aren't with a believer and unbeliever. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you want to rescue me a little bit here? <laughs> I'm grasping for straws. <laughs> yeah, so... There's two different camps here that we also need to uh, make mention of. Number one, if you are already in union with somebody uh, who is not a believer, so you're a husband or a wife, and your spouse is not a believer, that's what we're going to jump into. If you are in a dating relationship, considering dating, engaged, whatever, you haven't sealed the deal with somebody who is not a believer, this is your warning. This is your, <laughs> this is your chance to choose holiness, okay? And so I don't want you guys to sit here and be in a marriage that is divided in their holiness, divided in their, uh, their unities, um, and think, okay, well, great, now I'm screwed. 
And so this, this is actually what Paul addressed in the first, can I say that in church? I just said I it. almost said you couldn't. I, I did. It's done. It's recorded. Um, so 1 Corinthians, he had already addressed that uh, to the church before uh, we before got into 2 yeah. Corinthians. So let me read for you. And this is for the married people. This isn't for the people who are dating. And don't hear this if you're dating somebody who's not a believer and be like, oh, I'll be good because Paul already addressed this. And so when we get married, it'll be easy. Let me hook you up to talk to somebody who's married to a non-believer and tell you how easy their life is not, okay? So Paul gets into this, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness into her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness into his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Wow. So this is actually like you're going to level up. If you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage, very specific, if you are already in a marriage with somebody who is not a believer, you are the one. I don't want to steal your thunder, but here I go. You are the one that's bringing the holiness into the relationship, into your home, making your children holy. It's on you. And so don't hear this and think, oh, crap, like, what did I do? Like, I made this mistake because I'm, you know, maybe uh, you had walked away from faith when you got married. Maybe you came to faith after you got married and your spouse isn't there yet. 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 Don't hear this. And think that you're up a creek already. You actually have so much more responsibility and weight on you because you are the one that's bringing the holiness into your relationship. You know, um, have you guys got something out of this today? There's a lot here. It, it, it really took a turn uh, that I thought it wasn't going to go. I wish that I could get up here and I could say, God just wants us all to get along and wants us to be unified and wants us all to, um, wants it all to be rainbows and butterflies and, and wants, you know, happiness and the truth is, is that he calls us to more. And that that more involves being just like him. And I, I sit here today and I think of the countless marriages in our church, my friends, my loved ones, that are, that include a believer and an unbeliever. And if you're, you're sitting there in, in a relationship that, that that's what it looks like, I want you to know, we, we see you. Because God sees you.
And what we see is that holiness is the best way. That higher standard that God calls us to is the best possible way for the union of your marriage. Husbands, if you're looking into your marriage and you're you're looking at your wife that believes in Jesus, I know more than anything that her desire for you is that you would fall in love with him even more than her. And I can point you to wives in our church that have had their husbands come to know Jesus as a result of their faith because they were the example of holiness. And they continued that. And I know that there are guys that are coming to this church because they love their wives and they still just keep coming to this church and they keep coming and coming and coming. Maybe today is the day that you would come to Jesus because you love your wife. If anything, do it because you love your wife and watch him make a change in yours. Stop being so stubborn. So, we're done. <laughs> we're going to sing a song. Um, and I, but, but before, before we... we we lead. I want you, you know, everyone stand to your feet. I'm going to pray with you. Did Tanya do a good job? Come on. Um, I want to pray with you. Maybe today's your day. And I... I know that, that, that Dave is up here to pray with anyone that, that wants to, to receive prayer this morning. Maybe it's for your marriage, for holiness in your marriage. Maybe you're in, and, and, and something else, real quick, I, I hinted on it at the beginning. I feel like the church for years has allowed abuse. And it, I don't, I don't want you to walk away saying or, or believing that because you're the holy one in the relationship, because you believe in Jesus, that you should continue an abusive relationship. God called the children of Israel out of Egypt because they were in an abusive relationship. I don't believe that the Bible supports abuse. But the Bible definitely supports holiness. The Bible definitely supports union. Maybe today's your day. If if you're here, and you're outside looking in, I just want you to know we've prayed for you. 
We're still praying for you. If you want to receive Jesus this morning, I'm not going to have anyone raise their hand or anything. If, this is between you and him, but I don't, think it, I don't think it is allowed to stay between you and him. I think it has to go beyond that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you receive Jesus this morning with, with saying a prayer, but it's not a magical potion that makes you saved. It's a relationship. A relationship to holiness. But if you say this prayer, there's a way that you can mark it on your card. Come and find me in the common area and tell me, hey, Adam, I want you to know today was my day. What does God want for you in this moment? For if we encounter his presence and leave unchanged, we've wasted our time. If you need Jesus, just do me a favor. Would you say this prayer right where you sit? Say, God, I need you. Because of my sin, that separated me from you. I needed Jesus to die on the cross for that sin so that it could be removed and I could be in relationship with you. Come into my life and save me. And through the resurrection of Jesus, Make me new. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. You're welcome to come and to pray and leave anything at the altar. Come and see Dave. Come and see Elaine. And don't leave here carrying a burden. We love you. I'm so glad you came this morning. Let's sing together.